So, Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name and thank you, Lord, for your presence. That, that Lord, we are gathered in Jesus' name and you are present here. And, Lord, that's an amazing thing. You are our Father. And so this is kind of like a little family reunion. But, God, some of us can't be here because they're sick or traveling or on vacation or whatever. And, Lord, we miss them. And it, and it feels a little bit incomplete when only, you know, part of the body isn't here. So we just ask you, Father, would you please watch over and bless those who couldn't be here. Lord, I pray that, that, that they would be encouraged and refreshed. Lord, when we go too long without meeting together and without fellowshipping together, we can get kind of dry in, in, our, in, in our spirits and our souls. So I just pray, Lord, for, that you would keep them and refresh them, Lord, that the devil wouldn't be able to speak into their life, but they would know that they're loved and wanted and have a place here. So God, this morning, we just ask you that you would work. Lord, salvation, sanctification, maturation, edification. Lord, all the things that you do by your spirit, we ask for that this morning in this place. And I pray, Lord, that our small groups, that, that God, we, we would take this rare opportunity to just interact with you together in our small groups and we would just lord we, we would do that and have that fellowship and the edification that comes from considering the things from your word together and, and we can kind of individualize it so i just pray lord that everyone have a chance to do that in our small groups we love you we thank you pray these things in jesus name amen so what we'll do now is we will have a teaching time out and you'll want to go ahead and turn to the book of second john You'll want a handout. You'll want something to write with because if God brings something to mind, we're not going to be able to maybe discuss that as a class, right? But, but you can discuss that in your small group. So the Holy Spirit may well bring something to the forefront of your mind that you can talk about in your small groups there. So just write down a note on your handout and then we're going to after the teaching time, we'll get in our small groups. And then if, if time allows, we'll kind of do a regroup and, and hear about the things that God showed you. So let's review real quick because we're in the middle of, well, we're toward the end of Second John, but, but we're in the, well into our series here. So what we've been seeing is that love, that is charity or agape love, it opens doors to relationships to friendships, okay? And those friendships will open the door to new life, okay? We've seen that in some of the testimonies that we got regarding charity. Um, we've also seen, this is just review, you don't have to write anything down here yet, but we've also seen out of Second John that the deceivers are a reality. Unfortunately, we have deceivers and antichrists in the church. You know, like in this church, well, yeah, probably, you know. So how do we identify them? We identify them by what they don't say. It's not enough for them to just come in and speak the same things everyone else is speaking to confess who Jesus is and what he did, and that's our identity. No, they have to come in and they have a separate agenda. It's subtle. But you'll, it, we identify them by what they don't confess. And then we, we saw that. That's what deceivers do. 
Our definition of agape love should be what Jesus did. Okay, now that sounds like a strange statement. So I want to make sure I back that up with a lot of verses, but that's what 1 John 3.16 says. Hereby perceive with the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. So you want to know what love is. You want to know what love is like. Well, here's what it is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. There's your definition of agape love. Okay, next. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Herein is love, verse 10 says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. How did he love us? Jesus laid down his life for us. Once again, we're getting the definition of agape love is just what he did, what he said. Okay, that's it. It's that simple. All right, next. We are to walk in love as Christ also has loved us. There it is again, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. Okay, so we just see this over and over again in the Gospel of John is what Jesus taught. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Well, Jesus, I don't even know what that means. Oh, here it is. As I have loved you, you need to love one another. And then finally, John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So like, we can't miss it, right? This is the definition of love. It's what Jesus did for us. By the way, that is what he expects us to do one to another, to lay down our lives, loving others sacrificially. That is the capstone of Christian maturity. It's not a degree. It's not a pastorate. It's not standing up here instead of sitting there. That is not the mark of maturity. It's not having all the answers and graduating from LFBI. I hope you graduate from LFBI. Tim's two classes short of graduating from LFBI, right? Praise the Lord. Pastor Wagi teaches at a seminary. Okay, praise the Lord. Doctorate degree in missions? Education. Praise the Lord. I'm super grateful for Tim and for Scott and, and, and all you guys. But getting a degree, graduating shepherd school, having a pastorate even, those are not the marks of Christian maturity. The commandment is that you love one another as I loved you. Now, here's the real kicker. It sometimes takes decades of getting self out of the way to be able to actually love one another. I know people who have doctorates and they won't have a Bible study in their home just because it's not convenient. Like, really? Like, you know the Bible that well and you won't teach others because it's inconvenient for you that so you see like if, if if god says the end goal is charity i'd much rather have someone who was saved last week who is willing to simply lay down their lives for others than someone who's got all the answers and all the degrees and all that stuff the pedigree but isn't willing to actually love one another you guys see you guys see that okay so we have seen that a lack of love leads to loss. This is review. And there's loss either because every member is not a minister, like Ephesians 4 says. So if every member is not a minister, then we don't grow into what we should be. 
okay? If three of us show up on a Sunday morning, we can't actually grow and be what we should be. Or if there's all of us that come together, but only three that are actually engaged in prayer and study and service and bringing food and cleaning and setting up, we can't grow to be what God has us to be. We all have to, like members of the body, work together to grow into what God would have us to do. You guys have read Ephesians 4, right? You guys know about that? Here, yeah, hang on. Write, write it down and you can cover it in your small group. Okay. Now, or we don't grow to what we should be. We suffer loss because we're a bunch of cannibals. Okay, so spiritual cannibals who bite and consume one another. That's talks about in the book of Galatians. If you bite and devour one another, then you're going to be consumed of one another. There won't be anything left at the end. Two ticks and no dog. And there's just nothing left. Okay, so. This week, we're going to be looking at 2 John, verse 9. Now, I just want to give you an outline real quick here, because we're kind of in the middle of a section. So, so go back one. We saw in verse 7 the reality of the deceivers and how to identify deceivers and antichrists. We saw that. Okay, now we're in the section, go ahead, where... We have to guard ourselves against them. Okay, so they're a reality that none of us like, but we don't get to choose whether that our reality. We just have to deal with what we have. So verses 8 and 9 tell us how to guard ourselves against them. That's what we're going to be looking at. And then next week, we're going to be looking at dealing with them. Next week, we're going to be talking about the limits of our love. Okay. But well, we're going to talk about that. So, so that's where we're at. We're kind of in the middle of these, this three-verse set. So you guys ready? All right, let's jump in. Christians are also called believers. All right? So I talked to a guy yesterday. He had like a Jesus tattoo on his arm or something. I'm like, oh, I didn't ask him if he's a Christian. I said, are you a believer? Okay, and I like to do like some kind of setting people up for that. Like, oh, you're a believer. Well, what do you believe? You know, so I can get them into a spiritual conversation. But given that, so it's what we believe that makes us what we are. You guys know John 3.16? That whosoever, what? Believeth should not perish, but have everlasting life. You got saved by what you believed. You are a believer. That's how you got saved. First Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Okay, I don't have a PowerPoint for that one. That verse says that the, the Bible, the scripture, it isn't the word of men, it's the word of God. First Thessalonians 2, 13, and it works effectually in them that believe. So some of us today, I, I, I'm heartbroken to say this, but some of you, you heard the word of God preached this morning and you didn't believe it. It wasn't mingled with faith and you just wasted an hour of God's time, an hour of your life. Why? Because the word of God, even though it was preached, you didn't believe it and it didn't do any good. Same thing now. 
we're looking at what the Bible says, but, but look, the, the word of God can just bounce right off. It can hit your heart, but you've got a hardened heart because you're mad about something and you don't believe God because you don't want to believe God and it won't do you any good. What a waste would that be? It is our belief that God us saved, amen? It wasn't work, so it was faith. I just trusted in what he said. But it's the same thing in terms of our Christian maturity. Do I believe what it says about who I am in Christ? If so, I can now move forward in my faith. Anyway, what we believe connects us to God. That's what this verse is going to teach us through Jesus the Son. So this week and next week, we're going to continue to build from verse 7 regarding these deceivers that are here. Now, next week is going to be called the limits of our love, and I'll just give you a heads up. Our love is limited. You say, well, that sounds weird. But I'm not talking about the quantity of our love. Like, you know, I think I'll love five people this week, but that's about all the capacity I have for. And then everyone else, I'm just going to be a jerk. No, no, no. It's not the quantity of love that we're willing to give. It is the boundaries of our love. So think about Israel. God gave them the promised land. And when he gave it to them, he's like, okay, here's your boundaries. Um, let's see, to the east, we got this boundary here. Then to the north, we've got this boundary. And, and, and he described the boundaries of their land. Now, those were limits. This is what I've given you. This is who you are. This is the land that you have. Now, your job is to go possess that land. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous and just live. Okay, now you got to go like all the way to the corners. Like you got to go till that ground. You got to start having families. You got to build cities. It's a big land. And it took a long time for them to flesh out that skeleton, to, to fill in those spaces, to possess the land. But the job wasn't to try to establish their boundaries or to grow more and more. God has given us limits to our love. We're going to be looking at that. This is how you deal with deceivers. We love everybody. There's no limit on that. But nobody gets to come in here and change the boundaries. Redefine what it means to be a Christian. To cast doubt on the word of God. It's to do that. So we'll talk about that more next week. But let's look at 2 John verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So just like everything else John seems to write in his epistles, we got to work through this. You're like, what? What's he talking about? Okay, so let's look at it. Regarding the doctrine of Christ, that's what we just read about. This could be, go back, this could be the teachings from Christ, right? If I say I've got the teachings of Patrick, well, does that mean teachings from Patrick, the things that Patrick taught? Or does that mean teachings about Patrick? Well, just looking at the syntax of, of this sentence, what it, like it could be either, like both of those things are used in scripture. Now, the context would indicate it's teachings about Christ. 
honestly, it doesn't really matter. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And because we have a dispensational view of Scripture, we can rightly divide the word of truth. And so, you know, but I think this is talking about things that are uh, taught about Christ. And I think that becomes evident as we study through this. You can talk about that in your small groups and, and let us know what you think. But in terms of a, if we just did a word study on doctrine, what you'll see is that same Greek word is translated all the way through your New Testament as doctrine, except for one time where it's taught. So it, the, the word doctrine just simply means teachings, the things that were taught, the things that you believe, the, the instructions that you've been given. So that's all that that word means. Okay, so, so we would say the doctrine of Christ, it's either the things that Jesus taught or the things that are taught about Christ. But then if we do a phrase study, you guys know that we compare Scripture to Scripture and that the Bible define itself. So if we did a phrase study on the doctrine of Christ, there's only one other place in your Bible where you're going to see that phrase, the doctrine of Christ, and that is in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. So go ahead and flip over to Hebrews chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2. Here's what we read. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. So, so listen, we're going to stop talking about the principles, the basics of the doctrine of Christ. So, so we're done talking about the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. We're done talking about the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God, for, and, and then he goes on. It's like, so in other words, let's stop talking about the basics and we'll go on and cover some other deeper things. But it's very interesting and enlightening that, that here's what we have, the principles of the doctrine of Christ. So what we're given is the cliff notes. Do they still have cliff notes? Well, you're like 100 years old. You say, of course we do. Okay, all right. All right, so we have, okay. We, so the cliff notes, that's just the, the outline, the basics, the, the, the summarization, if you will. And that's what we have is the principles of the doctrine of Christ. So what are we talking about? When we talk about the doctrine of Christ, well, it's, it's, it's this. First of all, repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. That's talking about your salvation. You guys, if you're saved, it's not because you did good works. You actually had to repent from trying to earn salvation to receive it through faith. Amen? That's what this is talking about. And our salvation is through faith in Christ. Now, we know that, but let's look at some verses from Romans. Now, to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And then Romans 5.1, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, our salvation it's who we are in Christ. Okay, then Hebrews chapter 6 also talks about baptism. 
Turn to Romans chapter 6. So Hebrews chapter 6 talks about baptism. Baptism, that's our identification with Christ. Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So now Paul is going to explain to us what this whole thing means, like we're dead to sin. Well, what do you mean by that, Paul? I think I still have a sin nature. I'm pretty sure, at least yesterday I did. What's it mean? Okay, he explains this has to do with our identity with Christ, which is talked about in terms of baptism. Verse 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Okay, this is describing what happened at salvation. This actually, you guys, it's not talking about physical baptism. When you get baptized, you, you know, you're not going to get held under there so long that you literally physically die. That's not what verse is six is talking about, is it? Our old man is crucified with him. Right? Yeah, I hope not. And baptism isn't crucifixion. So we know that this is a spiritual picture. This is what happened to me at salvation. The old Chris died, and the new Chris has now been born. Old things were passed away, and all things were become new. I'm not saved through physical baptism. Physical baptism is just a picture of what happened to me spiritually at the time of my salvation. Okay, but what we see is it's an identification who we are now in Christ, okay? The doctrine of Christ. Baptism is part of that. When you get baptized, you demonstrate to everybody the reality of one of the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Did you know that? Well, now you do. That's amazing. Okay. You can go ahead and I'll, I'll let you continue to read through the rest of that. Romans chapter 6, 1 through 12. If any of you are, are struggling with sin and it feels like sin has power over you and you can't control it, you need to get your head around this passage. You can talk about that in your small groups. Sin does not have dominion over you anymore. Okay. It doesn't if you're born again. That's amazing. Okay. Back to Hebrews chapter 6, it talks about the laying on of hands. Okay, what this is talking about for us is the spiritual authority of the body of Christ, which is also the local church, okay? So this is super interesting. So 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul is teaching young pastor timothy about how it works that's what this book is about and paul says neglect not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery the presbytery is just this group of elders okay who had the authority to make decisions for the local church the apostle paul wasn't the only guy, like Paul would go around and plant churches, but then he would ordain elders 
the presbytery, that's what that word is, okay, to, to lay on hands, to make decisions, and they had authority to do that. Now, let's, let's go to the next verse here. This is a lot, but I'm going to read it because it's worth it. I besought thee, Paul says to Timothy, to abide still at Ephesus. Timothy became the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Okay, so which book in your Bible is written to the church of Ephesus? Ephesians. Did you guys know that? That, that Timothy is the pastor of the book of that, uh, I'm sorry, of the church that the book of Ephesians is written to? So Paul says he went there that, that, that he would charge Timothy to make sure that they teach no other doctrine nor, or I'm sorry, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So, hey, Paul says, Timothy, I want you to go to Ephesus, and I want you to make sure that they're not teaching other doctrines. Make sure they're not giving heed to fables and endless genealogies. So you got that guy who stands up in class and is like, <clears throat> you know, and then goes through and compares the genealogy from this passage to the genealogy in this passage and just drones on bringing some nth degree thing. It just wears everybody out and is trying to make some endless genealogies. Don't let them do that. Don't give heed to fables. Okay. Don't let them do that rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So, okay, now, verse 5. Now, the end of the commandment is what? Charity. It's not some guy standing up, giving some, you know, giant long lecture on endless genealogies. It's not someone standing up with some sort of mystic fable that the goal is charity, faith unfeigned, from which some have swerved aside unto vain jangling. They're just talking. They're just making noise, but there's nothing there. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And listen, I'm, I want to read this whole thing because these are the deceivers. They want to make it about something other than what Jesus did and who Jesus is and how we need to be charitable one to another. You guys, these people are in the church. God forbid that we would just let them ruin what God has given us. Amen? Anyway, so, so Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus, and then back in Ephesus, go to Ephesians. So we'll just jump around a little bit. You guys are awake, right? Yeah. Your fingers work? Christine, you're done playing Wordle? Okay, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation which wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. 
But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So there's one church here, guys, but listen, and there's one spirit, but that spirit has given us individually different gifts. You have a different gift than I have. So don't despise me because I'm not gifted in one area. God has actually gifted you in that area, which is why you notice my shortcomings. Praise the Lord. He did that so you can have a part in the ministry. <clears throat> so that someday at the judgment seat, you can say, I fulfilled the role that God gave me as a member of the body of Christ, just like all the other people in the living world class. Praise the Lord. Okay. But according to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. All right, now jump down to verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the edifying of the saints, for the work of the ministry. I'm sorry, for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Those pastors and teachers, the evangelists, those church leaders were given specific roles and responsibilities to build up the local church. The laying on of hands was an act of authority. Okay, so when the church at Antioch sent off Paul, what did they do? They laid on hands and they sent them off. It says the Holy Spirit sent them. It says also the church elder sent them. Which was it? Well, that, that's how God works through the structure of the local church. So spiritual authority lies within the structure of the local church, which is why you want your ministry to be under that spiritual authority. So Gene has someone in California who wants discipleship. She's like, hey, it has to be under the authority of the local church. Am I good to do? Yes. Why? Because you want that spiritual authority. If you go pick a fight with the devil, you're in big trouble. If, if you, as a soldier in the Lord's army, fights a battle against the devil, you're fine. But you want to make sure your ministry is okay. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, talks about the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so Christ is what goes in the blanks. Christ is the first fruit of resurrection. You guys, uh, where's the, the verse in your Bible that talks about the resurrection? Where's the, the passage of full mention for the resurrection? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Okay, that's where you want to go to learn about the resurrection. And what we see in that passage, verse 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man death came, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. So, so Christ sets a pattern for us. His gravestone was rolled away, and so therefore our gravestones were rolled away. And just as Jesus came out of the grave and got a glorified body, so too will we get a glorified body. 
First Corinthians goes through and it talks about if there is no resurrection, we're without hope. But because there is a resurrection, I don't have to be afraid. I'm not afraid of death. Or I'm not looking forward to like the dying process necessarily, right? Like, but we shouldn't be afraid of being dead because we can't die, really. Even our physical bodies, which if Christ tarries too long, could die. Like we all will die eventually, but I think we're going to get raptured. But anyway, eternal judgment, referring to the judgment seat of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, we see there is no foundation. Can any man lay except that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus? But how we build on that foundation is going to be tried by fire. And this fiery judgment of our service to him not for our sins you guys but for our service is called what it's the judgment seat of all these things all this doctrine of christ from hebrews chapter 6 is about what christ did who he is and who we are in christ our resurrection in christ our identification with christ the spiritual authority of the body of christ oh yeah we are the body of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, which gives us hope and eternal judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, which gives us this eternal perspective. So here it is. Key point number one. Second John chapter one, verse nine says, whosoever transgresseth, transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. So here's some key points. To abide means to stay. So I, I abide in my house. To abide in the doctrine of Christ means we will not be led away from the doctrine of Christ. We will not be led away by others who have different priorities, different perspectives, or different teachings. So listen, just like Israel was given the promised land, you have been given some promises about who you are in Christ. And it's our job to fulfill that, to take the land, possess the land all the way out. Everything that God wants for us, we should be excited to possess. But don't you know we could get distracted? We could get led astray. We could start to focus on other things, find some pet doctrine, like, hey, listen, we could all become mid-trib. And then we could teach that for people to be right with God, you have to agree with me and my doctrine. Wagi, you could get some favorite doctrine and become a dotard about it. That's all you talk about. Every message is about why you can't drink alcohol or why you should drink alcohol or why whatever. And then that becomes the focus, not taking the land, not taking what God has given us, but some other doctrine, some other focus. You guys, anyone seen that before? Where someone has tried to give themselves a place in the church by making other people become subject to their favorite doctrinal focus. Half the time it's heresy because devils can't do exegesis. But all right, so key point number two those who claim doctrine doesn't matter will attack you for not agreeing with them, with their doctrine. So there's people that say, doctrine, what you believe doesn't matter. And I would say in response to that, 
actually what I believe defines me. It does matter, okay? And we need to protect. There are limits to, to, our, to our love because what we believe does matter. Now, people that say doctrine doesn't matter, they'll, be, they'll get really mad and they'll attack you for disagreeing with what they believe. Now, what they believe is that doctrine doesn't matter, but that's still a belief, right? That's still a theology. Okay, key point number three, doctrinal transgressors claim superiority. So people that will try to deceive you and draw you into their camp, okay, which you're not going to do because you're going to abide in the doctrine of Christ. Now that our eyes are open to these deceivers, you're going to recognize them. So you're going to be working hospitality with them. You're going to be on the security team with them. They're going to try to drag you into the hallway between services, and they're going to be talking to you about why their particular thing matters. What they will do is they will claim superiority, but according to 2 John verse 9, they have neither the Son nor the Father. Simple faith in who Jesus is and what he did, according to the word of God, is not only enough, it's essential. If we get drawn away from the sufficiency of the finished work of Jesus Christ, then what happens is I no longer have a biblical faith in what Christ did. Now the focus is on something else, and my rightness with God depends on me believing someone else's doctrinal stance. You guys, I've been there. You get shunned if you don't toe the line. Uh, don't, okay. Once you've been there, you're pretty much immune to it. If you get out of it. Okay. Don't, don't get in it though. Okay. Finally, key point number four, the church is in a state of apostasy right now. That means the church is in a really bad place in terms of, of what it even is. Okay. The spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. We're living in those days. We can't just be cultural in our Christianity without being in a state of apostasy. So we want to be a remnant. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on 1 John, okay, this is, this is I'm sorry, in, in his commentary on 1 Timothy, Matthew Henry described the des design of the apostle. He says, also, talking about the reason for the writing of 1 Timothy that Paul wrote to this young pastor to caution against the influence of false teachers who by subtle distinctions and endless disputes corrupt the purity and simplicity of the gospel. That's what these guys do. And sometimes they sound really good. And sometimes we're not going to have an argument for every doctrinal distinction they're trying to make. They're splitting hairs but they're getting down to like this level where it's past anything God said to focus on or to think about. And what they're doing is trying to gather people unto themselves. If it matters, it's really clear in scripture. It's easy to be entreated. We don't have to divide over it. Makes sense. So we want to watch out for those people. So in your small groups, okay, the back of our, the back of your handout, we must guard ourselves against deceivers and antichrist. We must abide in our belief in who Christ is and what he did. 
understanding that it is faith in Christ that gives me right standing with God. Can you say that? Your righteousness comes from what you believe, not from what you do, not through some particular doctrinal stance. It's simply believing who Christ is and what he did in faith according to the word of God. Recognize that those who subtly suggest otherwise are snakes. No snakes in the class. Okay, so here's the invitation. Take your small group time to get to know each other and discuss how we can help each other stay safe against deceivers and antichrists who are unfortunate realities in the church. So, you know, I'm not looking around the room seeing if there's any snake. I'm, I mean, you, that, you could be that. And I just, I, I think I'm pretty good at sniffing them out, though, because I've been in that kind of ministry before, not here at Midtown, but at a different church. And God forbid, I think I'm kind of immune. But, but anyway, it is a reality in the church, and there are people that are led astray, and maybe there's some stories you could tell in your small group about that. But let's go ahead and break up into our small groups, and in about 20 to 25 minutes, we can get reports from your small group if there's something that, that we think everybody needs to hear. Sound good? Yeah. All right.